and welcome to the Luke Miller Podcast. I'm glad that you're able to join me today. On this week's episode, we're starting our new series, The Journey, which is going to be traveling to the different locations where Jesus stops on his way to Jerusalem and through the Passion narrative leading up to Easter. I'm excited for this series, and today we're taking a look at the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 to 56. I'm looking forward to today. I hope you are too. So grab your Bibles, turn to Matthew, and let's dive in. Today we start this series as we look at what it means for Jesus to enter into Jerusalem and all of the different stops that go along the way. And as we start to take a look at this, we're taking a look at why Jesus was drawn to the Garden of Gethsemane in the the first place. And we start to understand why he came to this place of prayer. And I think what we'll be able to see is that we can actually follow uh, a pattern that Jesus takes in our own prayers. And so, again, uh, we're going to be reading from verses 36 to 56, and we'll be diving through this in Matthew chapter um, Matthew chapter 26 itself. But let me read uh, a little bit of it, and then we'll dive in. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here. Keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He then went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he found them sleeping again because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. All right, so we take a look at at this passage and we can start to understand a few things in the pattern of Jesus' prayer that I think can be transformed into our own lives as well. We see in verse 36 that Jesus wanted his disciples to be with him. So he took them to uh, a garden of olives, which is called Gethsemane, uh, which simply means oil press. Now, most scholars actually believe that where this location is, is probably where they actually crushed the olives uh, to make the oil itself. Luke chapter 22, verse 39, in fact, indicates that he spent, Jesus spent a lot of time there. Uh, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. The fact that it even just said, went out as usual, is a little tiny phrase, but something that we should take note of. In fact, in John chapter 18, verse 2, it tells us that when Judas came looking for Jesus, he knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. I think it's interesting to me that as the suffering of Jesus is about to begin with the passion narrative, he wants to be with his friends. 
We don't think much about this, though, do we? Jesus had the need for fellowship. And notice that eight of the disciples are told to sit down a while while Jesus takes the other three deeper off into the olive grove. Peter, James, and John had also been given the privilege of seeing uh, Jesus on on the Mount of Transfiguration and were witness, witnesses to his power when he raised the little girl from the dead in Matthew chapter 17. And now they are about to see something that they had never seen before, which was Jesus in a moment of sorrow. So I think it's important for us to first realize that that this was a place of support for him. And that's maybe the question that we start asking ourselves is when we're in need, what is that place of support that we have? Who are the friends that we gather around? Maybe it's a Bible study group. Maybe it's on Sunday mornings. Maybe it is a, a Sunday school. Whatever those those friends look like and whatever that place of support is, it's important to have that place of support. For Jesus, the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples. For you, how do you fill in the blanks? So, so they see Jesus... In this place of sorrow, in fact, verse 37 tells us that Jesus was sorrowful and troubled. This really means that his heart was heavy. The word itself means to be distracted to the point of separation from others. And Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7 says that Jesus offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. Have you ever thought about how much sorrow there was in this situation for Jesus? So much of this whole story in this location is about seeing the humanity of Christ. And then saying, have have we ever had so much sorrow that he felt no one else could even enter it with you? And Jesus' anguish is so intense that he could hardly think of anything else. And in verse 38, Jesus put words to what is happening. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. This is a sorrow in the, the highest degree. To be overwhelmed means to be encircled with grief. Grief had so gripped Jesus that he felt like he was dying. And in the midst of this sorrow, Jesus wanted support, and he asked the three to stay there and keep watch with him. Which kind of leads us to that that next little part of this. And, And here's the picture. This is also a place of solitude. Even though this was a place of support, And Jesus recognized that there were people around him that could support him. And this was a place where he could mourn what was going on in his life. It was also a place of solitude. Eight disciples are somewhere near the entrance to the garden. The three are allowed to go a little deeper, but then Jesus leaves them. And in verse 39, it says he went a little farther and fell with his face to the ground. Luke adds that he was a stone's throw away. Uh, in fact, so so Jesus is now alone as he falls on his face in reverence and awe before God the Father. And, and we see this wrestling now uh, where he finds this place of solitude. And it's it's not um it's it's, it's something that we got to take notice of. Uh seeking that solitude and time with God by ourselves. Because this was a struggle for Jesus. In fact, again, the the end of verse 39 reveals his struggle. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. In the midst of all that Jesus is going through, I love how he dresses God in prayer. My father reminds us how Jesus taught us to pray when he taught his disciples how to pray. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
we we call out to him uh, and uh, to him in times of great struggle. Charles Spurgeon actually would say that that we should plead our adoption in the day of trial because nothing can forfeit a child's right to the father's protection. And and I love that picture that he gives. If you go even further and look in other places, in Mark chapter 14, we read that Jesus actually prayed, Abba, Father. He's literally uh, calling out in that fatherly tone to his dad to take that cup from him. And and so much about that word cup in the Bible is was figurative for God's blessings, but it was also used to describe God's wrath. And Jesus looked into this cup, and what did he see? Why did he want it to be taken away? I think it's important for us to note that as Jesus is moving towards the cross, he realizes that the punishment for all the sins of the world is about to be poured on him. And that is not something that should be taken lightly. This was something that he can't even imagine. Uh, Isaiah 53, 6 says, And the Lord has laid on him inequity of all of us. And 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 21 says that the sinless and spotless Lamb of God actually became sin for us. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that, way, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What a beautiful picture. Jesus knew he was about to suffer, but in the garden, it suddenly became very real to him. He had already told his disciples what would happen in, at the beginning in Luke chapter 9, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by elders, priests, and teachers of the law, and he must be killed and raised on the third day. And even though he knew it was coming, the anticipation of the physical, the emotional, and the spiritual pain was almost unbearable. Jesus knew exactly what faced him in the hours ahead. He had seen crucifixion many times done by the Romans, but I think he agonized most about the fact that all the sins of the world were going to be heaped on him. And he had never experienced that. So in the place of the olive olive press, we see Jesus feeling the squeeze of the pressure of the world. And, And there's agony in that. Uh, being filled with anguish. He prayed more earnestly and sweat was like drops of blood falling on the ground. And so we start to see that sacrifice that's about to happen. We see this picture and this hurt that is going on. As he looks deeper into what's going to be happening, he sees beyond the sin and the suffering and he recognizes his final role as sacrifice. John 18.1 says that then when they went to Gethsemane, they crossed over the Kidron Valley. The Brook of Kidron was a drainage area for the temple. And during Passover, uh, the Passover time in Jerusalem, uh, most commentators will say roughly 200,000 to 250,000 lambs were slain. And that the blood of those lambs would drain through the brook into the Jordan River. On the night of the Passover, When Jesus was going to Gethsemane, he stepped over that brook in the Kidron Valley, and he would have seen it polluted with the blood of lambs, something we don't often recognize. He knew that in a a few hours, he was going to be slain as the final sacrificial lamb of God, his blood satisfying the righteous demands of God's justice. In 1 John chapter 2, 2, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. 
I've really tried to stress this over the last couple weeks as I've been talking in our previous series, which, which looks at being unstuck and looking at, at prayer. But understanding that, yes, Jesus forgave us. And so much around this time of year, you'll hear that question, well, who killed Jesus really? Was it the Jewish people? Was it the, the rabbis, the religious leaders? Uh, yes, there were Gentiles involved. Who killed Jesus? The answer is really simple. You know, I killed Jesus. You killed Jesus. We killed Jesus. Sin killed Jesus. That sacrifice that his father sent was him for us, for sin and for the world. First John 2, 2, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. One of the things that we, we see in this is that as Jesus continued to look at his situation, Jesus saw something that caused him, you know, I would, you know, to shudder in many ways. He had never experienced this before. He would separate, he would face separation from his father when all the sins of the world were heaped upon him. In Matthew 27, 46, it says, About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is uh, Aramaic, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The cup was filled with bitterness. It was almost unbearable, but there was more. Because at the end, there's something something that comes about. All the sacrifice, all uh, of everything, all the hurt, all the turmoil, everything that... That, that Christ went to, Jesus knew that he had to drink from the cup in order to save us from our sins. That's why he came. So, so there's nothing hiding that. And now as Jesus struggled with that, we see this separation, right? The disciples were sleeping. Verse 40 and 41, he returned to the disciples and found them sleeping. And how could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? And, and watch... Uh, and pray so that you will not fall into temptation, he challenges. I have some sympathy for the disciples who went to sleep in Gethsemane. I mean, they knew it, it was such a serious time, and they clearly had tried to pray, but they just couldn't do it. And Jesus said, oh, you couldn't watch me for one hour? I need you so badly. But he understood. <laughs> that's what I actually love. Is That's what I love about Jesus. In his time of stress, uh, he gave grace. He said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And in the second time, when he came back in verses 43 and 44, he didn't even wake them up. The, the tangible byproduct of prayer should be patience with people, I think, is what we can learn from this. If you're irritable with others, always on edge, maybe it's an indication that you need to spend some time with God because the spirit of the God produces patience. You know, and... And I think, you know, as we wind this down, that it's also a place of submission. Jesus is beginning to surrender, right? We've seen suffering. We've seen sacrifice. We've seen separation. We see that that all of this is not, is, isn't for not, uh, that there's something more. He recognizes. And here we see, yet, not as I will, but as you will. I want you to, to notice carefully that his prayer is slightly different the second time in verse 42. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. The first time he prayed, if it is possible, now he prays, if it is not possible. 
I know it seems like just uh, semantics, but his first request, he longs for the cup to be taken from him. Now he mentions actually drinking it. In the first plea, he says, yet not as I will. And in the second, he declares, may your will be done. I, if, if we look at this from a technical standpoint, the main clause is no longer let the cup be spared from me, but that God's will be done. And, and there are two elements to Jesus' prayer that should be instruction for us as we get ready uh, to finish up here. Is One, he expressed his own desire. This is what I want. I want to escape from the cross. That's what Jesus is saying. But secondly, he submitted to the desires of God. Well, if not my will, but God, your will be done. Prayer is simply expressing your thoughts and our desires to God and submitting our will to his direction. Let it be God's will and God's will that it will shape what is best for knowing that God's will will shape what is best for me and for the sake of the kingdom of God. And out of that, that becomes a place of strength. In fact, verse 46 says, rise up, let's go. Here comes my betrayer. All of a sudden, Jesus is ready to meet this head on despite what has been going on. And this was probably over the course of about three hours if we look at the time frame that's going on here. Jesus got into the garden, was sorrowful, and now he emerges strengthened. And, and so, so there's, there's something about this, isn't there? A, going to God in your time of sorrow, you go away strengthened. Finding a place where you can meet with God, finding that place of solitude, but also finding place where pe- uh, finding people who will gather with you and support you. My prayer for this week is that as we look at this place of the Garden of Gethsemane, we're also able to understand how important this is from a prayer perspective, not just in the role of its role in the passion narrative and the story of Easter, but we see the humanity of Christ, but we also see how he prays. He had taught his disciples how to pray. Now we see how he prays in a moment of complete distress. So I hope as you go from here and as we we finish up here, you're able to take this into account. You're able to say, is there a place where I go that that is a place where I can be a part of community? Is there a place where I can grow and be strengthened even in my sorrow? Am I comfortable to going to God with what I need and expressing what I would like to God? But even more so, are we comfortable with hearing what God's answer is, even if it doesn't match up with ours, and saying, Lord, your will be done? I think that's a good place for us to stop today. Uh, and I'm looking forward to where we where we head next with this as we take on a new location each week of the story of the Passion Narrative. So uh, hopefully you'll be able to join me as we go through the series of the journey as we journey through these different locations. I want to say thank you so much for joining me today. Hopefully you go away encouraged from this and challenged from this. But until next time, I'll say take care, have a great week, and I'll talk to you next week. Thank you for joining us on the Luke Miller Podcast, part of Sunrise Digital Ministries at Sunrise Community Church in Fair Oaks, California. If you're wanting to know more about our digital ministries, you can download our app at the Google Play Store or the Apple Store, where you'll find Backshed Bible Study, Sunday Sermons, and the Luke Miller Podcast. 
If you've got questions about who Jesus is or what it means to be a Christ follower, we would love to connect with you. And you can send us a note at www.sunrise.church/welcome and we'll get you connected. Thanks again for joining us. Take care.